So preparing for eternity is about this. It's about having a mindset, a perspective that is eternal. If you think you're only going to live till you're 80 or 85 years old and that's it, you don't, you don't spend money the same way as somebody who knows they're going to live forever. Um, if you have an 85-year perspective, you get really upset about little things. And if someone dies at 40 or 50 or 20 or whatever, you get extremely crazy upset because you don't realize we're not dying. We're just moving from earth to heaven, and we're going to live for all eternity, all years. So here's my um, analogy that I've given you over the past several weeks was this. If um, one day, if the next 24 hours of your life determined what the next thousand years of your life was going to be like, Man, you would live with, with purpose and be very intentional with what you did in life. Because where we spend eternity is based on our faith in Jesus or not, but how we spend eternity is based on our works. There's two judgments. And so it's ignorant for us to think that we can all be believers and that every one of us, some of us can tithe, some of us can serve, give, honor God, and then some of us can be lazy and do nothing and be selfish. And it's ignorant for us to think that both those two Christians are going to have the same size house, the same rewards in heaven, the same eternal area, job, service for all of eternity. It's ignorant. It's going to be different. It's based on our works on earth. So I wanted to kind of give you a point of reference to, to, to understand what a thousand years is like, because that's nothing compared to eternity. But if you go back a thousand years, that's before Christopher Columbus. That's before um, um, King Richard the Lionheart, right? That was like in 1100s, 1100s, any European history people? Okay, well, anyway, it's a long time ago. So if you go back 6,000 years, your reference is Adam and Eve. Let's say that you're in the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago. And God came up to you and said, hey, the next one day of your life, how you spend your money, how you treat people, the level to which you forgive, the level to which you serve me, the next 24 hours is going to determine the house you live in, the people in your neighborhood, the position you have for the next 6,000 years. And you're in the Garden of Eden. And you got one day, and that one day is going to determine what it's going to be like for you. You're going to live all through Noah, Moses, Esther. Uh, you're going to go into the Jesus life and death. You go to the apostles' death. You're going to keep on going. You're going to go through, through king, all the kings of France and Spain. And you're going to go all the way to Christopher Columbus and all the way to Bill Clinton and George Bush. And now you're here, right here in 2017, all because of one day. Tell me you wouldn't... Be very, very purposeful how you spent that one day. That analogy isn't even close to me saying your life on earth is going to determine the next billion centuries. Because once it's eternal in heaven, it never changes. An eternal reward, an eternal judgment means there's no up and down. It's the same forever and ever and ever and ever. So I want to give you a scripture like I do every week to back this up, then we'll go in the subtitle. The scripture is 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 15. It says, each one's going to receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul says, like a skillful master builder, I laid a foundation, now another's building on it. Remember last week we talked about how our life should be a stepping stone and not a stumbling block? He said, um, um, another's building on it, but each one must be careful how he builds. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, or straw, each one's work is going to be clearly shown for what it is for the day, capital day, of judgment will disclose it. Because it is to be revealed with fire, which will test the quality and character of each person's work. 
Notice the character of it, the motives behind it. If any person's work remains and survives this test, he will receive a reward. But if any person's work is burned up by the test, he will lose his reward, yet he himself will be saved. This is a beautiful scripture on grace versus works. Grace, yeah, you'll get into heaven, you'll be saved. But because you wasted time arguing, because you wasted time in strife, because you wasted time with the wrong motives, because you wasted time making it all about you, all those things are going to burn up and there'll be nothing left to show for it. Let me give you an analogy to back this up and we'll go into today's message. Here's the analogy. Let's imagine you spend your entire life working at the same place, let's say in the school system. And you go to retire and you're 65 years old. Man, you saved up money and you're checking savings, you got everything ready, you're going to retire, live a comfortable life. And then the day that you retire... The day you retire, your bank goes under and you lose all of your checking and savings. That same day, all of Social Security runs out and there's nothing left. That same day, um, you're going home and your house is on fire and all you have is the clothes that you're wearing and you see everything burn up and on that same day, your insurance company goes belly up and there's nothing to help you out with. Now, y'all would say, Dang, that's a bad day, right? That, ain't, that is not a good day. That's what the scripture is saying. You'll be saved. You're still alive at 65, but everything you worked for for 65 years is completely gone. That's what it's going to be like, unfortunately, for many Christians who wasted the life that God gave them. They're going to get to heaven and they'll be saved, but there'll be nothing left to show for it. Okay, so now let's go on our series today. Uh, last week it was very—I got so much response on the generational sermon, like so much response. So I wanted to continue down that area a little bit, if that's okay. Today, part six, we're going to talk about break the curse. Break the curse. If there's anything that's going to give you eternal rewards in life, it's breaking the generational curses off your family line. If there's anything that's going to bring you great joy when you get to heaven is when you look down and see because of your life, the people that came after you have it better, easier, and they're more successful. What is a generational curse? It's like having what they call bad blood. Whenever you go to the doctor, they ask you for your family's medical history. They say, check off if there's anybody in your family line that's got diabetes. Is there any heart disease, any mental illnesses? They make you check all these things down because they know that we can struggle with something because somebody before us passed it down to us. Because somebody before us didn't break the curse and they struggled and now we're struggling because we're from the same blood. They call it bad blood, but the Bible calls it an iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. Iniquity. You remember that word. Deuteronomy 5, 9 through 10 says, the iniquity of the fathers can visit the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, here's what we talked about last week. But I show mercy and love to those who obey me up to a thousand generations. It's so funny to me how the Bible says something and we really believe it or don't believe it and don't know. And then all of a sudden science proves it. And we're like, oh yeah, that's totally real. I read it on the internet. Oh man, it's totally real. For thousands of years, science says sin has passed through the blood. Reason why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, reason why Jesus' blood had to come from the Father, God. Either way, sin's passed through the blood, and the, now science is telling us this very thing, and we see it. That you can have an eating disorder because your parents had an eating disorder. You can have alcoholism because your grandparents battled alcoholism. You can even have, honestly, biblically, you can have bad attitudes, pride, selfishness, um, lack of integrity, uh, um, laziness, all because someone in your family line battled that and never broke the curse. 
An iniquity can get passed down. Um, an iniquity, the definition of it is this, continued disobedience that gets passed down from one generation to the next generation. Now, I want to tell you something, but I don't want to produce fear. Okay, I'm telling you this to give you some truth. It's a truth statement. There are intellectual principalities of darkness that have been studying your family line long before you were ever born. They studied your family line hundreds of generations before, and they are making sure that enemy is making sure, and the Bible says that devil is a wise schemer, making sure he sends the right minions and the right demons and the right principalities of darkness to you at a certain time in life because he knows what's going from one generation to the next, and they know exactly what to send you. See, some of you don't battle pride, but you battle selfishness. Some of you don't battle alcoholism, but you battle drug addiction. Some of you don't battle lying, but you battle pornography, and it's not because of something that might have started with you. It's something that started with people that came long before you that never broke the the curse. And these principalities of darkness are watching for just the right moment to send just the right demon your way to prevent you from having any eternal rewards and prevent you from fulfilling your God-given destiny. I'm sure you've heard of the Kennedy curse. Has anybody here heard of the Kennedy curse? Okay, we are, there's some smart people in here that did not go to Soxty High School. So the Kennedy curse, here's what happened. There's books on the Kennedy curse. And here's um, what it talks about. It talks about how this, this, gen, this family, this bloodline of the Kennedys, they have all these untimely accidental deaths. I mean, from murders to what they say is drug overdoses to some of them just go missing. One guy ran into a tree while he was skiing and died. There's, they, many of them died from plane crashes. Well, you know, of course, we know JFK was shot in 1963. 63. Yeah, man. I, got, I went to Saucony in ninth grade, but I got kicked out for fighting. And then I went to Calvary Christian in 10th grade and got kicked out of there. And then my dad opened up a school and he kicked me out and let me back in. Anyway, so I, I did learn that in 1963. And so the Kennedy curse, that's not happenstance. That's not a coincidence. That is principalities of darkness that are trying to destroy a family, a bloodline, through accidental quote-unquote deaths. So we have to be able to find out what it is the enemy's trying to do to destroy our family line. Do you know that Adam and Eve had several kids? The first murderer in the Bible was Cain, Adam and Eve's son. Do you know who the second murderer was? It was one of Cain's descendants, a man by the name of Lamech. That generational curse just kept getting passed down from one to the next in one particular family bloodline. So the big question that we have today is this. How do I break the curse so that my descendants won't have to suffer? Some of y'all are right now, you're thinking, curse, man, he's crazy. This is too spiritual. What's he talking about? If you look at your parents and see what they struggle with, and then you look at your kids and you see what they're struggling with, there's a really good chance that you're struggling in that same area. If you'll examine your parents, even your grandparents, and they might not have been transparent with you because the generation before this one, they, you know, hid things and they were very, very quick to just not show any kind of emotion. But, um, the, but I, I guarantee you, if you look at your family, your parents, you'll see, was it, is it divorce that's getting passed down? Is it poverty that's getting passed down? Is it a neglect of God's things, the things of God getting passed down? Is it sarcasm? Is it addictions? Is it manipulation? What's getting passed down that maybe you've passed down to your kids and you don't even recognize it yet? So here's, I'm going to give you three steps for breaking the curse. Three steps. Uno, dos, and then the third one. And so I want you to write this down, okay? Here's the three steps. They're all R's. So this is a pirate's favorite sermon. Uh, the first R is one, recognize. Recognize. 
You have to recognize, notice the areas that you constantly struggle in. Most likely it was something that was passed down to you. Next to recognize, you can put this inward bent. An inward bent, an iniquity, iniquity, I and inward. It's an inward bent. It's like no matter what you do or how hard you try on your own strength, you are bent inwardly towards a certain thing, towards being lazy or towards not being a giver or towards making excuses or whatever. You're, you're bent towards something. And I'm trying to prevent you from passing this down to your kids, so I, I hope you take this seriously. But it's an inward bent. It's funny because my, um, if I go to my mom and I ask her, I say, what are some generational curses, you know, that, or maybe in our family line, she has a list from my dad's side of the family. I mean, it's just got a list. If I ask my dad, he's got a list from my mom's side of the family. And it's like that kid that went to his dad and said, um, where do humans come from? And his dad said, we all come from apes and from monkeys. He thought that was weird. So he went to his mom. He said, where do humans come from? She said, honey, God made us in his image. We started with Adam and Eve and so on. The boy said, that's funny. Dad said that we came from monkeys. Mom said, I was telling you about my side of the family and he's telling you about his side of the family. <laughs> anyway, so you got to recognize what's getting passed down. Um, Ernest Hemingway is one of the greatest writers of his day. If you ever any heard Ernest Hemingway's writings, Ernest Hemingway committed suicide in 1961. He had a long line of it in his family. In fact, five years later, Ernest Hemingway's sister committed suicide. 16 years after that, Ernest Hemingway's brother committed suicide. In 1996, his granddaughter committed suicide. If you study the Hemingway family line, do you know in the early 20s, Ernest Hemingway's dad battled depression and ended up killing himself, not knowing that four people over the next 50, 60, 70 years were going to commit suicide in his family. Now, here's my thought. What if Ernest Hemingway's father had been in church today? What if he had heard this sermon on how there's a certain plan of attack the enemy has to destroy your family line. And when you get to heaven, you want to see that you made life better for them and they had it better because of you. You, you don't want them to struggle because of you. And he heard this sermon and he started taking notes and he said, I can't wait to get to the end. I can't wait to get to the end of the sermon to find out how to break this curse in my life. I don't want my family to be depressed. I don't want my grandchild to kill herself. I don't want my son, my other son and my daughter to commit suicide and think there's no hope. I don't want to end this way. What if he had heard this sermon? What if he had been very, very quick to recognize, yes, it's depression. I have these thoughts of suicide. Man, if he had broken the curse, I wonder if his three children and great-grandchild would have committed suicide had he broken the curse back in the 20s. Man, I don't want y'all to be up in heaven and look down 100 years from now and see your family line struggling with something that you could have broken in your life. You could have broken, but you failed to recognize it. I told you last week about King Saul. Uh, King Saul had every opportunity to obey God, but he wouldn't do it. He just would not do it. God gave him chance after chance. And Saul's biggest um, iniquity, you would say, was pride. He didn't want to be told what to do. He thought he always knew better. He had a way to manipulate whatever God said to get his way out of it. Very, very difficult. At one point, God took the throne from him. And God, and that affected his son, Jonathan, and God put David on the throne, of course. And so here's Saul battling pride, not willing to honor God. And now his son is hurting because of it. His son's not going to be on the throne. But his son, Jonathan, noticed this. He recognized this in his dad. He recognized that his dad always had to be first, always had to be right, would never let 
anyone else, you know, come up to him, would never let anyone else surpass him. And here David was getting popular. And at one point, Saul was trying to kill David and Jonathan was stuck in the middle and he had to make a decision. Am I going to honor my dad, who I love, who raised me? Or am I going to honor God and do the right thing and break this curse off of our family line? In 1 Samuel 19, 2, Jonathan stuck at a fork in the road and he had to make a decision. And so he went to David and said, David, I'm sorry to tell you this, but my father Saul is trying to kill you. With that one decision, he recognized the pride and he didn't want to pass it down to his own kids and so he broke the generational curse in his family line. He did the right thing as hard as it was. Do you know how hard it is to do the right thing when all you've seen modeled growing up is the wrong thing? Do you know how difficult it is to be free from drugs when all you've seen is drugs? you know how difficult it is to go to church and honor God and worship when all you've seen is pride and arrogance your entire life? Do you know how difficult that is? And Jonathan made the right decision. And a few years later in 2 Samuel 4, Jonathan and his father Saul got killed in a battle. And so when the royal family died, there was a nurse at the palace who was taking care of Mephibosheth. This was Jonathan's five-year-old son. And the nurse grabs Mephibosheth. It's amazing. If you read the Bible, I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's better than any Steven Spielberg movie ever created. And so Mephibosheth is in the, the arms of the nurse, and she runs out the palace, and she trips over the palace stairs, and both of Mephibosheth's legs break. And he becomes crippled for the rest of his life. So now Mephibosheth, grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan, now he's living in the most poverty-stricken area in the entire region called Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. That's not important. It's not going to be in the test. You didn't even have to repeat that. So Lodabar is where he's living. And so he's begging for food. He's crippled. He's on the side of the road. He's starving to death. He has nothing. Mephibosheth was the least likely person to ever succeed in life, least likely one to ever make it. He had no money, no influence, no friends, nothing. And one day, King David is in his palace, who has taken over the throne of Israel. And he starts thinking to himself, and he asks his servants a question in 2 Samuel 9, 1. He says, is there anybody left from Saul's family who I can be good to for Jonathan's sake? His servants say, King David, let me tell you, man, Saul tried to kill you. Saul was evil. Saul didn't honor God. He was full of pride. Why in the world would you want to do something for Saul's family? David says, hold up, man. Saul may have tried to kill me, but his son Jonathan honored me. His son Jonathan did the right thing when the wrong thing was happening around him. His son Jonathan broke the curse, and that's why I want to honor somebody from the family line of Jonathan. They said, well, before Jonathan died, he had a son. His name is Mephibosheth. He lives out in Lodabar. He's poor. He's crippled. He's got nothing left. David says, bring him to the palace. So they carry this man into the palace. He is being waited on hand and foot, served like he's royalty. At one point, I can picture David and Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table, one of those long tables like you see in the movies. David's on one side, Mephibosheth on the other side, and they're waiting on him, bringing him whatever he wants to eat, you know, wiping his face for him, doing whatever they can, helping him drink the wine, and then Mephibosheth says, whoa, whoa, we gotta, we gotta stop this. I, 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 I need to understand something. He says, King David, I hate to be rude, Please don't take this the wrong way, but why in the world am I here in this palace? David says, let me tell you something, son. I can picture David maybe standing up with a little bit of intimidation, walking over to the other side of the table, putting his hands on the back of Mephibosheth's shoulders and saying, son, I love you, but you didn't do anything to be in this palace today. See, many, many years ago, your grandfather tried to kill me. 
But your dad decided to honor God and he helped save my life. And because of what your father did, that's why you're in my palace today. Isn't it amazing how that one recognition of pride that was trying to get passed down from one to the next stopped for that generation and now Mephibosheth is eating at the palace because his dad did the right thing. Number one is recognized. Number two is this responsibility. Please, please hear this. Take responsibility. Stop making excuses. One of America's greatest phrases is, it's not my fault. It's not my fault why this is happening to me. It's not my fault. It's not, it's not my fault. I'm angry because my mom left when I was a kid. I'm poor because my family didn't leave me anything but bills when they died. I'm, I'm addicted to drugs because my dad was addicted to drugs. On and on, we have one excuse for the next. Stop making excuses. The curse may not have started with you. Yes, it may have gotten passed down, but it doesn't have to continue with you. The curse may not have started with you, but it can stop with you. Don't make excuses for where you are in life. Don't make excuses for what it is you're battling. Take ownership and responsibility. Psalms 20, Proverbs 26.2 says the curse does not come without a cause. That means there's a reason that it's in your life. There's a reason you're battling what it is you're battling today. Stop trying to point blame to somebody else. Take responsibility and bring it to God. Recognize it and take responsibility. Um, Al Capone, the famous mobster, had a lawyer named Easy Eddie. And Easy Eddie would do anything he could to keep Capone and the other mobsters out of jail. And he was compensated greatly for his work. He was a very good lawyer. He would lie, cheat, deceive, do whatever he could to keep these mobsters out of prison so they could continue to steal, smuggle, kill, and things of that nature. Easy Eddie had a son. And with all of Eddie's wealth, with all of his influence, there was two things he could not give his child. He could not give his child a good name, and he could not give his child a good example. And it got to the point in life where he couldn't even live with himself. He couldn't continue to go on this way. He had all the money, all the wealth you could imagine, but he didn't want to pass that to his child. He wanted to pass down that integrity and having a good name and doing the right thing is more important than money or wealth or property or buildings. So fully knowing the consequences that would occur, Easy Eddie went to the authorities and he told them everything. He told them every lie, every cheat. It got so bad he actually had to testify against Capone in court. Just as Eddie figured, his life ended from a hail of gunfire right outside of their family home. But what Easy Eddie did was, he recognized that eternal rewards are greater than earthly gratification. He recognized that he could pass down his son integrity, doing the right thing, <clears throat> honoring God, but lose his earthly life. Or he could pass down money, wealth, and property and keep his earthly life, and he chose to honor God. There's something more important than the generational curse, something more powerful than the generational blessing, and that is the generational choice. We all have a choice. Deuteronomy 30, 19, God says, I give you the choice between blessings and curses. You have a choice. You can't blame it on anybody else if you don't make the right choice. Several years after Easy Eddie died, World War II took place. There was a U.S. airman named Butch O'Hare. And one day he took off in his fighter plane with all the rest of his crew going on a mission. As he got into the air, he noticed they forgot to refuel his plane out of all the other planes. So he broke out of formation. He was headed back to the base from which he took off, and he noticed there were 10 enemy planes headed towards his group of friends. 
He had to make a decision. Was he going to save his own life and just steer out of the way and pretend like he never saw it? Was he going to turn around and tell his friends, but then, of course, the enemy would be on their tail and shoot him from behind? So with Butch's adrenaline pumping 90 miles a minute, he decided to face 10 enemy planes all by himself. 10 to 1, he was outnumbered, literally. There was gunfire, there was smoke, there was, there was windshields broken, wings clipped. Do you know that Butch O'Hare defeated all 10 of those enemy planes? Several years later, he died in aerial combat. And the city of Chicago named their airport after him, the O'Hare Airport. What makes this story so significant for today is that Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. This family went from no reputation, no honor, a bad name, one generation later, one generation later, bravery, courage, have an airport named after them in Chicago itself. It goes to show you what one decision made by a parent can do and how it can affect the generations to come. Leviticus 26, 39, God wouldn't let the Israelites go into the promised land until they dealt with their iniquity. He said, you will die because of your iniquity, but if you confess your iniquity and the iniquity of your fathers, I will keep the covenant that I made with Abraham and I will bless your land. Right now, some of us are struggling today because somebody in our family line refused to honor God. Don't let that be passed down to those that come after you. Recognize, take responsibility. Number three is this, repent. Repent means change the way that you think. Um, that's the definition of the word repent, change the way. Let me tell you how this happens. It's not our job to change ourselves. If so, we wouldn't need Jesus. It's his job to change us. It's our job to build a relationship with the one who changes the way we think. What this means is the more you get into short groups, small groups, Bible studies, the more you fill your mind with praise and worship and things of God, the more you study the Word of God to find out the heart of God, the more you pray, the more you listen, the more you spend time with the Lord, the more He will change the way you think from the inside out, and then your life will automatically change. Our goal, we were never created to change ourselves. We were created to be in a relationship with the one who changes us. But if you're pouring everything but God's word into your mind and pouring everything but the things of God in your mind, let me tell you, it's not going to change you in the right way. It's going to change you in the wrong way. There's a scripture in the Bible that tells us um, what happens whenever we go to repent. It says in Psalms 103, 12, He will not punish us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Before I give you some details in that scripture, I want to tell you what our life should look like if we choose to break the curse. Our life should be read in four chapters. Here's the chapters. Chapter 1, I was walking down a street. There was a big hole in the sidewalk. I fell into it. It wasn't my fault. It took me a while, but I, I finally got out. Chapter 2, I was walking down the same street. There was a big hole in the sidewalk. I fell into it. It was my fault. It took me a long time, but I, I finally got out. Chapter 3, I was walking down the same street. There was a big hole in the sidewalk. I walked around it. Chapter 4, I now walked down a different street. Once you see that God is changing the way you think, 
you'll easily, without even recognizing it, start walking down a different street than what you saw modeled when you were growing up. If you look at this scripture and it talks about how God, if you repent and you bring it to God and you claim the blood of Jesus over your family line, here's what will happen. He won't punish us according to our iniquities. Everybody say iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, he will remove our transgressions. Everybody say transgressions. Let me explain these two words and I'm going to give you a revelation that you're never going to forget and I'm going to let you go, okay? An iniquity is the inward bent. An iniquity is something on the inside. An iniquity would be um, something you can't see. It would be an attitude. Iniquity would be um, pride. It would be selfishness. Iniquity would be um, hatred, bitterness, racism, things on the inside. Iniquity. Transgression is outward movement. Iniquity is inside. Transgression is on the outside. Transgression is when you act on it. In other words, iniquity is hatred, transgression is murder. Iniquity is jealousy or bitterness, transgression is gossip. Now, both of them are sin. Does everyone see that iniquity and transgression is sin? Yes? Everybody say yes. Say, I understand. Okay, iniquity and transgression, they're both sin. It's interesting, people with my personality who are very outward and open, people will see easily the sin in my life, and if you have a personality like mine, because we transgress, we're outside. We just do it. We just, here's what, here's what here's, you hear, you hear us say it, you see us do it. It's outward and we're done with it. And then you see somebody with a quiet personality, you know, that doesn't talk, and you think, oh, they're so spiritual. Whoa, 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 let me tell you, they got iniquity on the inside. They're thinking how much they hate you, but they smile and just shake your hand and say, I love you. Anyway, they have the stuff going on on the inside. They're just as bad as us. <laughs> not trying to make myself feel better, but it does help a little bit. Anyway, so iniquity and transgression both sin. But God says, hey, I'll take care of both of it. The iniquity, I'm not going to punish you. For the I'm not, not only that, not only am I going to take care of the iniquity, I'm going to take care of the transgressions that have happened as well. So interesting, watch. I want to show you how perfect the Bible is. How perfect it is, okay? Perfect. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Watch. A wound is outward bleeding, a bruise is inward bleeding. Listen, Jesus bled on the outside for our transgressions. And Jesus bled on the inside for our iniquities. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And when you're willing to take whatever you recognize whatever you're willing to take responsibility for, and you take it to the cross and you plead the blood of Jesus over that hatred, over that ignorance, over that whatever, molestation, over that, that whatever it is, whatever it is, when you take it to the blood and you, you, you claim the blood of Jesus over the, Jesus, hey, 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 I bled on the outside for everything that was done on the outside. And I even bled on the inside for everything that was thought, every motive, every attitude on the inside. When we realize the power from the blood of Jesus, we'll stop walking down the same street. Our goal in life is to renew our mind to the point where the blood of Jesus is stronger in our life than any blood that's come from your family line. Revelation 12, 11 says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Not by the blood of your mom and dad, not by the blood of your grandparents, by the blood of the Lamb. Amen?